0: One of the largest archaeological sites in the world that is also the home of entryways big enough to allow elephants to pass through, because they were literally made for it, and most people haven't even heard of it. Or like me before researching this podcast, only knew of it, but nothing about it and the empire responsible for building it. I'm Laura Taylor, and with me as usual is Andrew Hook hello welcome to digging deeper with the ancients now off to asia for this episode we go after our world wonders yeah which only occurred around (laughs) (laughs) we won't get into that But if you want to listen to the list of the ancient wonders of the world that we talk about in the previous two episodes, go for it. We explain why they're not actually located around the world. So, this episode is on Angkor, or the Khmer Empire. Angkor Archaeological Park, located in Cambodia's northern province of Siem Reap, is one of the most important archaeological sites of Southeast Asia and one of the largest archaeological sites in the world. It extends over approximately 400 square kilometers and consists of loads of temples, hydraulic structures, which include basins, dikes, reservoirs, and canals, as well as communication routes. Angkor is, like many other sites we've talked about, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Mm. And it's most known for the famous Temple of Angkor Wat, which is what we'll be focusing on this episode because it's what people know and the most information is known about it. It is located roughly five miles north of the modern Cambodian city of Siem Reap, which has a population of approximately 200,000 people. So, world standards, it's actually not that big of a city, right? Yeah. I mean, we're Canadian and (laughs) we don't have huge cities either, like they do in especially in the US. Yeah. Or Asia. Most of Asia. Asia, yeah. Yeah. For several centuries, Angkor was the center of the Khmer Empire, or also known as the Angkor Civilization. With impressive monuments, several different ancient urban plans, and large water reservoirs, the site is a unique concentration of features, testifying to an exceptional civilization. Unlike most UNESCO sites, the park is inhabited by many villages scattered throughout the park, some of whom the ancestors date back to the Angkor period. So if you've listened along, if you've listened to our previous podcast, this is very unique. A lot of UNESCO sites are very strict and very specific. Yeah. Like Pompeii, it's just the ancient mm-hmm. city, right? Mm-hmm the Terracotta Army. It's the actual site. It doesn't extend it any beyond, (laughs) doesn't extend beyond the sites. Whereas this is quite a large site, and there's people living there. So I can't imagine it's easy for the UNESCO people to actually control. For the purposes of this podcast, as I said, we'll be focusing primarily on the most famous temple, Angkor Wat because it has the most information available on it, and many of its features apply to other structures within the park. The Angor Complex represents the entire range of Khmer art from the 9th to 14th century, and includes a number of indisputable artistic masterpieces. The influence of Khmer art as developed at Angor was a profound one over much of Southeast Asia. Satellite imaging has revealed that Angkor, during its peak in the 11th to 13th centuries, was the largest pre-industrial urban center in the world. Now, you'll notice that this center is roughly a thousand years old, so it's definitely not—it's one definitely one of our newer topics we'll cover on this podcast. But it is a huge ancient empire with an ancient temple. The Khmer Empire ruled from 800 to 1300 AD. At its height in 1200 AD, it encompassed much of Southeast Asia, including the areas we now know as Cambodia, Thailand, Laos, and Northern Vietnam. To put this into perspective, at this time, Europe was in the Dark Ages, while the city of Angkor itself was thriving, with a possible population of 1 million. By comparison, Paris, the largest city in Europe at the time, had maybe 30,000 people. Wow. Yeah, so it was impressive. And especially it had a million back then, whereas now it has 200,000 in this close city. Unfortunately, like many ancient civilizations, including those that have living descendants in the area, like Angor, which we've also mentioned with Easter Island has living descendants there, most of what remains of the civilization is its rich heritage of structures in brick and stone. The Khmer society was led by an extensive court system with both religious and secular nobles, artisans, fishermen, rice farmers, soldiers, and elephant keepers. Yep, elephant keepers was an important job as Angor was protected by an army using elephants. The vast system of reservoirs, canals, and moats which was one of the most notable features of Angkor, served as a means of water control and rice irrigation, and allowed the civilization to spread into the countryside. The rulers utilized the vast resources of labor and wealth at their disposal to carry out a series of prodigious construction projects designed to glorify themselves, their gods, and their capital city. Does this sound like another civilization we just covered? Yeah. Very much like the Egyptians, huh? Mm-hmm. The elites, although we didn't cover the Inge- Egyptians in full, no. just the Giza complex. The elites collected and redistributed taxes and temple inscriptions attested to a detailed barter system. So their temples included descriptions of their tax system. Interesting. <laughs> a wide range of commodities were traded between Khmer cities and China, including rare woods, Elephant tusks, spices, wax, gold, silver, and silk. So, a lot of very pricey things, at least for us nowadays, it would mm-hmm. be very pricey. The Khmer documented their religious and political tenets in Sanskrit, inscribed on tablets and on temple walls throughout the empire. Bas reliefs, which is, if you're not familiar with, it's a form of sculpture that's on the wall. Um, Bas reliefs describe Great military expeditions using elephants, horses, chariots, and war canoes. Although there doesn't seem to have been a standing army. They had all those elephant keepers to...
1: Maybe they were big into the circus.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. So Angor Wat. Angor Wat occupies a rectangular area of about 208 hectares or 500 acres. It's defined by a large wall. The first evidence of the site is a 200 meter wide moat with a perimeter of 5.5 kilometers. That's, 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 that's a good size. Yeah. It comprises more than a thousand buildings and is one of the great cultural wonders of the world. Angor Wat is the world's largest religious structure covering some 400 acres and marks the high point of Khmer architecture. Height of Angkor Wat from the ground to the top of the central tower is greater than it might appear. It's 213 meters, or approximately 700 feet tall. It was built by Emperor Suryavarman II. Sorry about the pronunciation. Who ruled the region from 1113 to 1150 AD? The purpose of Angkor Wat was a state temple. And political center Or a lot of people believe it was A funerary complex Like many of the other subjects we've covered Like the pyramids Like the tomb of the first emperor Of China The the mausoleum of Helicarnasus, yes (laughs) Um, And his remains were supposed to be Deposited at the site Somehow after he died So that he would Basically become A god A god, yeah
1: as you do. Although
0: we have no idea if this was ever actually done.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. they didn't mummify their dead. So, no idea. I even tried to look up, look it up. I have no idea if they've ever found a body there or human remains of any kind. So. Well, it,
1: it has been quite a turbulent area. And history, that's exactly
0: so. it. It is limited. It has also limited a lot of archaeology in the area. Archaeology has had to stop for decades at a time because. War. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, the exact date of construction is unknown, but it's believed to be during the height of this emperor's reign. So, around 1125 AD, something like that. It was originally built as a Hindu temple. Each temple and the city as a whole are planned miniature replicas of the universe in stone and represent an earthly model of the cosmic world, as imported from traditional Indian Hindu mythology. The central tower rises from the center of the monument, symbolizing the mythical mountain Meru, situated at the center of the universe. Its five towers correspond to the peaks of Meru. The outer wall corresponds to the mountains at the edge of the world and the surrounding moat the oceans beyond.
1: So so it sounds like they were flat earthers.
0: <laughs> A lot of mythology is. Yeah. The plan of Angkor Wat is difficult to grasp when walking through the monument because of the vastness. Its complexity and beauty both attract and distract one's attention. From a distance, Angkor Wat appears to be a colossal mass of stone on one level with a long causeway leading to the center. But close up, it is a series of elevated towers, covered galleries, chambers, porches, and courtyards on different levels linked by stairways. I was actually reading a description where someone describes how you should visit Angkor, and it's very complicated. <laughs> like, it sounds like almost a maze. Is there
1: any involvement of riding an elephant? No.
0: Damn it. Not actually visiting Angkor. Oh. But I'm sure you can in Cambodia. Yeah.
1: I've done it in Mooshja. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like basically a maze trying to go through it, Mm -hmm. but an impressive maze. All of Angkor Wat is covered in intricate inscriptions and carvings, or bas-relief, that tell stories of how the people lived from everyday life and celebrations the kings held at the complex to military expeditions. Even the pillars, arches, and windowsills are designed to turn your head. In the 1920s, a visiting dignitary said, One cannot feel that only a few hours ago it was palpitating with life. The torches were burning about the altars, companies of priests were in the galleries chanting rituals, dancing girls were flitting up and down the steps. In the 17th century, a Cambodian poet wrote of the asparsas, which are sculptures of a type of female spirit of the clouds and waters, These sculptures were likely only seen by the king and high priests. The poet said, These millions of gracious figures, filling you with such emotion that the eye is never wearied, the soul is renewed, and the heart sated. They were never carved by the hands of men. They were created by the gods' living, lovely, breathing women. So, yes, that's a poet speaking, but... It kind of shows how impressive the sculptures were. Right. Or at least I hope it reveals how impressive the sculptures were. Having not seen them myself, it's really hard. After the Cham people of modern-day Vietnam sacked Angkor in 1177, King Jayavarman VII, who reigned from 1181 to 1220 AD, decided that the Hindu gods had failed him. When he built a new capital near nearby, which is Angor Thom, which is also part of the Angor site as a whole, but not Angor Wat, he de- he dedicated it to Buddhism. So okay. he decided the Hindu gods had failed him, so he was you changing religion. Buddhist. He went Buddhist. Yes. Because
1: he like the uh, larger bald man
0: <laughs> says, and, the, and,
1: and who doesn't
0: says the larger bald man. <laughs> So thereafter Angkor Wat became a Buddhist shrine and many of its carvings and statues of Hindu deities were replaced by Buddhist art. So we have we don't have much evidence of what was what the Hindu stuff looked like mm-hmm. but because it was replaced very early on. In the early 15th century Angkor was abandoned but a group of Buddhist monks maintained Angkor Wat which remained an important pilgrimage site and continued to attract European visitors. Angkor Wat's massive temples and other stone structures were overtaken by vegetation and were unknown to the Western world until 1863, when a French explorer discovered them and wrote about Angkor Wat. Doesn't say how he discovered them. So, I'm sorry, it wasn't a farmer digging a well. (laughs) (laughs) So he noted that the area was inhabited by poor farmers, we told them they did not know who had built it, but thought perhaps the gods had left it behind. He described Angor Wat as grander than anything left to us by Greece or Rome. It's impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a claim.
0: Yes, exactly. You got to also remember that this is also something new to yeah. them, never be heard before and, known about, and,
1: and, and it is surrounded by by jungle too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So having something built like that in a jungle is.
0: Amazing. It would be absolutely amazing, especially at the time. Uh-huh. But you'll also notice with this, the poor farmers, the people of the area didn't know the history of it. Uh-huh. So it kind of brings into perspective how the culture died. Yeah. As they do. Yeah. The distinctive towers became a symbol of Cambodian pride, and their image has adorned the national flag since. Since 1863. Hmm. So how do we know so much about it if the people of the area didn't even...
1: Archaeology.
0: <laughs> You're like, good. also, you also like I've been listening. Me. You also know me, too. <laughs> so, even though its royal and priestly classes were highly literate, they used palm leaves as paper, which disintegrated over time. Yeah. The relief carvings found on the temples provide some details, as do Accounts from Chinese travelers who came through the area. No written records from the Khmer have survived other than the stone inscriptions. And knowledge of the historical Khmer civilizations is derived primarily from archaeological excavation, reconstruction, and investigation. Stone inscriptions, the most important of which, are actually the foundations of the temple which report on the political and religious deeds of the king. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's the foundations that... Of course, maybe that's where they thought the less interesting stuff should go.
1: The mm-hmm.
0: fact that they wrote it on the temples at all is, I think is interesting. It's the only way we know anything about it. Otherwise they'd be on palm leaves and they'd be gone. Who knows how much information was actually lost, huh? Yeah.
1: Well, and the thing is, in the middle of the jungle, you, put, you put it on
0: actual paper, it's probably not going to last much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even stones would get lost get lost in a jungle and stuff right so other archaeological evidence are the reliefs in a series of temple walls with depictions of military marches life in the palace market scenes and the daily life of the population yeah so basically as you said how we know most of it is just through archaeology they ended up writing a lot ...on the actual temples, which we lucked out of. They also had some tablets. And for these, we were were also really lucky to have... They were active in trade with China. And so we do have documents from Chinese people... ...who traded with them or just traveled a lot. Right. So we're not as limited as in some areas. This is kind of similar to the Mediterranean... Where the people did travel around a bit.
1: Yeah, so everyone wrote wrote a little bit about everything.
0: Yeah, exactly. The Chinese were traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, I'm not a... Well,
1: they they were a big trade partner with everyone. Yes. They still are.
0: Yeah. Khmer was also... Khmer also traded with India a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's where they... Which explains the the Hinduism. Yes, actually the people who founded the Khmer civilization, it suggested that thousands of years before, they actually came over from India, and that's where most of their architecture and belief systems originated from. They changed over time, obviously, because it had been thousands of years. Okay, so how did this great civilization end? (laughs) Earthquakes. again, there are lots of theories, and nobody actually knows for sure what happened. So after around 1220 AD, the power and vitality of the kingdom gradually waned. And during the 14th century, the capital at Angkor was sacked on several occasions and finally abandoned in 1431. It was then reoccupied later by different people. But the last Sanskrit, which would be the last of the Khmer writing, the last Sanskrit inscription is dated to 1327. So we're left hypothesizing about the end of the empire, based on what evidence we do have. And like I said, yet again, historians disagree. What? Yeah. So, like many of our podcasts, there is a theory section. Why how did they disappear? Why? All that sort of stuff.
1: Is one of them aliens?
0: Um, I'm not going to mention it, but I'm (laughs) sure there are people, I'm sure there are people that believe that because, well, there's people who believe anything. Yeah.
1: Well, they were flat earthers after (laughs) all.
0: Like I said, most, most early mythologies were. So one of the theories is foreign pressure. They had multiple, they were sacked multiple times near the end. They were caught between two emerging new powers, the Vietnamese and the Thai and everyone was constantly at war. There is a lot of evidence for this. We know that there was constant war in the area. Um, another would be religion. The lavish temples that were built at great cost and by forced labor brought such hardship that the kings lost the authority and respect of the people. The introduction of new religious ideas, the most important of which were the concepts of non-violence and less worshipful attitude towards the king's who styled themselves as divine. So the switch from Hindu to Buddhist. I don't know if the king really thought that through at the time, but Buddhism is a lot less violent, and you don't worship kings the same mm-hmm. as what the king wanted, <laughs> what all the previous kings had wanted. So there's that. And of course, all of these could have led to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like in lots of cases, it's its rarely ever one reason for something ending. A little for Exactly. From the That's the most likely. Some aliens here and there. <laughs> the third is the environment. As the <laughs> No, 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 no. Good guess, though, based on previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. As the population grew, there was more strain on the water system. During the 14th and 15th centuries, there were also... Severe climatic changes impacting the water management system. Periods of drought led to decrease in agricultural productivity and violent floods due to monsoons damaged the infrastructure during this vulnerable time. To adapt to the growing population, trees were cut down from the surrounding hills and cleared out for more rice fields that created rain runoff carrying sediment to the canal network. Any damage to the water system would have enormous consequences. The water system was how they managed to stretch out. That's how most empires are created, right?
1: And because of that, they didn't have to dig wells, so that, that's why no wells were done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, the fourth was plague, which actually hasn't been a big topic for most of these. because
1: Not, not yet, anyway.
0: Well, it's also because lack of information, though, yeah. of the sites, right? Yeah, it's, it's
1: hard to tell. If you find a body, it's... Well, yeah, it's... It's either natural causes or violent causes.
0: Yeah, and this... But, I mean, since we do have some information from the Chinese who are passing through the area occasionally and stuff like that. So, the plague theory suggests a severe epidemic outbreak. See, it's a little too close to home right mm. now, since we are in the middle of a pandemic. Okay, anyways.
1: Okay, wait. Hopefully at the end of a pandemic.
0: Okay, sorry, yes. It's now 2022 and restrictions are being lifted. So, let's see. Anyways. The plague theory suggests a severe epidemic outbreak might have hit the heavily populated Angkor and contributed to the fall of the Empire. As the plague first appeared in China around 1330 and reached Europe around 1345. Most seaports along the line of travel from China to Europe felt the impact of the disease, which might have had a severe impact on life throughout Southeast Asia. Possible diseases include the bubonic plague, smallpox, and malaria. So unlike a lot of the places that we've covered that disappeared, these we have evidence from those around them. We have a time frame. We know other places were hit heavily by mm-hmm. epidemics. So...
1: But but it just goes to show how slow uh, things moved at that time yeah, compared yeah. to now.
0: It took 15 years from for the yeah. the Black Death to travel from China to Europe. 15 years. Right, whereas it was we,
1: what? We, we, within two months the world was shut down. Yeah. Here
0: COVID COVID had traveled from
1: China to Europe. Yeah, to the North first ca- the
0: first case was China, and and, and, then, and then it hit Italy. And then it was full blown worldwide pandemic within a couple months.
1: Yeah. Airplanes. Yeah.
0: Well, and this would have spread much faster than earlier times, because this was spread by ships, trade, mm-hmm. right? And that's but that's also why the Khmer were likely heavily affected, because they were a trading partner with the Chinese. The fifth theory I'm going to cover is internal power struggles and civil war. So basically, there was incessant internal power struggles among Khmer princes. Many aspects contributed to the decline of the Khmer Empire, as I've stated, but the relationship between the rulers and their elites was always unstable. Among the 27 Angorian rulers, 11 lacked a legitimate claim to power. So 11 of 27, that is a lot. And civil wars were frequent. The Khmer Empire focused more on the domestic economy and did not take advantage of the international maritime network. And throughout the Empire's history, Khmer's court was repeatedly concerned with putting down rebellions initiated by ambitious nobles trying to achieve independence or fighting conspiracies against the king. They did not have a...
1: uh, A claim by blood.
0: Yeah. The Khmer Empire didn't picket's rulers based on like their claim by blood. It wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't an heir system, it wasn't family. And so a lot of the nobility were constantly fighting because they wanted to achieve
1: So, so a lot of Game of Thrones type stuff. Of-
0: yes, exactly. There you go. That's a good reference. During the more than four centuries between the demise of the ancient city and the beginning of the modern period interest in Angkor was largely focused on Angkor Wat, which having been taken over and kept largely intact by Buddhist monks, became one of the most important pilgrimage sites in Southeast Asia. In the first half of the 20th century, a group of French archaeologists initiated a comprehensive program of research, which yielded much of the knowledge now possessed about the history of the city and the Khmer Empire in general. Archaeologists also carried through an arduous and painstaking program of reconstruction, through which the ancient complex of temples, reservoirs, and canals were partially restored. So similar to a lot of other ancient sites. I mean, this one was taken over by the jungle. There was constant wars. It was other than Angkor Wat, there was a lot of destruction, and archaeologists have been putting it back together ever since, basically. Recently, advanced radar remote sensing applications have been used to map the city and its environs. The project identified that the city of Angor was surrounded by a vast agricultural complex of lands, local villages, farms, temples, and ponds, all connected by a web of earthen-walled canals that were part of a vast water control system. At least 74 of the newly identified structures are possible temples. The results of the survey suggest that the city of Angor, including the temples, agricultural fields, residences, and so on, <laughs> cover an area of nearly 3,000 square kilometers. That's huge! Yes, over the length of its occupation, making Angor the largest low-density pre-industrial city on Earth. Because of the enormous aerial spread of the city and the clear emphasis on water catchment, storage, and redistribution, many archaeologists call Angor a hydraulic city, in that villages within the greater Angor area were set up with local temples, each surrounded by a shallow moat and traversed by earthen causeways. Large canals connected cities and rice fields, acting both as irrigation and roadways. Now, what will happen to Angor as a whole in the future? What dangers exist to it, aside from people and war, since it is...
1: Lots of natural things could go wrong, because being that it is... Well, it's close to the ocean, isn't it? More or less.
0: I mean, as close and as compared it is to
1: us, for sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: but <laughs> we're, in... <laughs> we're in this middle of Canada. Yeah. Um, well, in the 20th century, various restoration programs were undertaken, but they were suspended amid the political unrest that engulfed Cambodia in the 1970s. When work resumed in the mid 1980s, the required repairs were extensive. So there was a lot of damage done just by political unrest in the area. There are also more than a hundred thousand people that live in over a hundred and twelve historic settlements on the site, and they are constantly trying to expand their living areas, which is obviously a problem for the historical yeah, aspect of make, the site. Uh, I mean, that would that would
1: make uh, the heritage people kind of going. A bit oh
0: easy. yeah, how do you deal with that? I I I do not envy the UNESCO people, in this, especially in this case. Then there's. External aspects, like like its nearness to the town of Sien Reap, and tourism in general.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Doesn't sound like there's a lot of, there's necessarily a lot of environmental problems, you know, like predicted problems in the area, mm-hmm. but the sounds like people are the main problem. Whether it's people living there, or people outside of there, big surprise people are the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And for my Simpsons reference, in the 18th episode of Season 20, which originally aired in April 2009, Uder's parents helped him build a model of the Temple of Angor Wat for a contest. However, because his parents helped him, he didn't win.
1: That's that's the German exchange, student. Yes, right? yeah. yes.
0: But there's a direct reference to Angor Wat, yes. which is impressive. Nowadays, considering I have difficulty finding references in a lot of cases, the upcoming ones are not looking good. (laughs) And that's pretty much all I have. I have a ref. I have another reference that's a pop culture reference that I'm kind of digging into Andrew's area. But I can.
1: Let's hear yours. You want to
0: hear it? Okay. In Civilization games, specifically, I found Civilization VI. You can play as the Khmer people yeah um, they're led by Deaverman 7, which was the one who changed religions on them. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yes, it is. All right now for my uh, references, uh, I start with movies and TV as I do. The most common one that I think everyone's gonna recognize right off the top of the, right off the top of the bat is Laura Croft, Tomb Raider from 2001. Because she's in Angor Wat.
0: Oh, is she? Yeah. I didn't know.
1: Yeah. Here's one that I found surprising: Apocalypse Now, from 1979. They film in a, a temple in Angor. It's not Angor Wat. Okay. But but it is a temple in Angor. Yeah. There's a movie called In the Mood for Love in 2000. Transformers: Dark of the Moon in 2011. Lord Jim in 1965. Revolt of the Zombies from 1936. Mistress of the World in 1960, a movie called Angor in 1935, Asian Treasure in 2020, Lovesick in 2005, this one I found, this next one, interesting, Aladdin 3477 3, it, it, it's coming out in 2027, <laughs> it's in pre-production right now, uh, but Aladdin 3477,
0: 3477. 3.
1: So it's the third one.
0: I'm guessing (laughs) it's not a Disney movie, though.
1: Probably not. No, Butterfly Man in 2002, Twilight, not that one. (laughs) Uh, This one's from 1969. Okay,
0: so it doesn't start a new Batman.
1: Uh, No, no. And there's, as far as I know, no sparkling vampires. TV. There's a. There was a TV show called Angor, and it had three episodes that actually took place at Angor Wat. And that was in 2020. Uh, the Amazing Race in 2008. There's an episode that was in Anger Wat. Do it like a madman. In 2009, a TV show called Kill Arman or Arman, Kamboza. K-A-M-B-O-D-Z-H-A. And there, and tons tons of documentaries, as of course there is. Yeah. In Doctor Who. There's a, a comic with the fourth Doctor called The Sword of Kali. Uh, that place, takes place in, in Angorwat, Wat. And that was the only Doctor Who reference that I could find. Huh? Star Trek, uh, Deep Space Nine, Family Business, Season 3, Episode 23. It's not actually said in the show, but in the show notes, the Ferengi Tower of Commerce is described to look like a, a high-tech Angkor Wat.
0: Cool. And yes, we are big Star Trek and Doctor Who fans, so we try to find references for every episode to them. Well, yeah, Because they have a lot of historical references, though, too. And
1: especially, especially Doctor Who, being yes. that he's a time traveler.
0: Star Trek does, too. Yes. They do very well.
1: In Marvel, Anger Wat is mentioned in Marvel Atlas Volume 11, no, sorry, Marvel Atlas Volume 2. Cambodia is used as a backdrop in thirty-six appearances, mostly X-Men, Captain America, the Thunderbolts, and Deadpool. All, all have been to Cambodia. Uh, probably, Deadpool was there as a merc before he yeah, became that's Deadpool. True. And in Marvel, also has a villain named Angor who fought against Wonder Man. Huh. Yeah. yeah a Very minor.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Villain, but. Uh, In DC, Anger Watt has appeared in five issues. And Scooby-Doo issue number 85, What a Scare, is in Anger Watt. In uh, games, Sid Meier's Civilization V.
0: Oh, five. Anger
1: Watt is also in there. So I'm not going to mention six because you've already mentioned it. Tomb Raider, The Last Revelation from 1999 for the PS1. Tekken in 1994 for the PS1. Illusion of Gaia, 1993, for the SNES. Pang, 1989, PC, PS1, Super Nintendo. Eternal Darkness in 2002, for the N64. And Tetris Plus in 1996, for the Game Boy uh, and the PS1. And uh, that's about all I can find... I didn't really look too much for music because I wouldn't know where to actually start with that.
0: Yeah, I can understand um,
1: But yeah, so, so there's quite a bit of, of references for that as well.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, it is a big it's one of the largest archaeological sites in the world, which yeah. was, yeah, as as a someone who finds archaeology fascinating and who nearly went into a master's program for it <laughs> it's yeah, I was surprised to learn that and I felt pretty I felt pretty bad that I didn't know more about it before starting the podcast, but now I do. Yeah. Right? So So you're You're self-teaching. Yeah, exactly. So, if you have any suggestions for future po- for future topics for our podcast, we would love to hear them. If you have any comments or questions about this one or any of the ones we've already done, Please feel free to contact us. Our email is digging deeper with the ancients at gmail.com and Instagram. We are Digging Deeper with the Ancients on Instagram. All one word. Blame Andrew for the fact that it's such a long word, because he's the one who named the podcast.
1: Yeah, but it sounds great. And one thing I want to add, um, I'm going to I'm going to kind of date this podcast. It is right now uh March the uh, 6th today. And last week uh Russia decided to invade the Ukraine and we have a listener who's very regular who listens from Kiev and I noticed just earlier this week they downloaded the last episode and uh I want to wish everyone in Ukraine uh, the best of luck and uh we're thinking about you. So take care and uh, be safe.
0: Yes, Canada is sending our best thoughts and wishes to you.
1: All right. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh,
0: Like, share, subscribe, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.